Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dave's Killer Bread. It's good stuff. It's popular in our house. It's a popular, if not ironic, use of the term killer, right? It's not, it doesn't kill you. It's good bread. That's what he's trying to say. But it's popular for other reasons. It's bread with a conscience. It says here, Dave's Killer Bread stands behind second chances. Fully a third of all the people in the factory have criminal records. And it's good because of healthy ingredients. It has no high fructose corn syrup, no artificial preservatives, no artificial ingredients. It's always power packed with whole grains, always USDA organic, always non-GMO. It's always made with killer taste and texture. Killer bread. It's one side of the contrast that forms the basis for our meditation this morning. Killer bread is bread that sustains life. In the days of Moses and Aaron, the bread that sustains life, the killer bread of the Exodus was the manna, right? You recall the story from Exodus 16. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. You brought us out to this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And in the morning, when the dew had gone up, there was there on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. What is it, the people said? Man who? In Hebrew, manna. But all too soon they were sick of it. The fiery serpents in Numbers chapter 21 were sent in response to this complaint. Why have you brought, sounds just like Exodus, right? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food, this manna. Yet it was what? Killer bread. It sustained life. For 40 years it sustained life until Israel celebrated its first Passover in the land. As recorded in Joshua 5, the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Cana that year. Killer bread. It's life-sustaining bread. And it's a good place to stop and reflect on the first article of gifts that sustain our lives. As we pray in the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. Well, what does this mean? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animal, etc., etc., etc. Luther goes on for another half a paragraph. Or as Luther summarizes under the first article, he richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. Killer bread. The gift of daily bread forms the context for our gospel reading this morning. I don't know if you noticed, but the, the lectionary takes a very interesting turn. We spent four weeks in July working our way through Mark chapter 6, which ends with the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. George and Terry and I, Lynn, just got back from a week of continuing education with Dr. Veltz, the seminary's expert on Mark. 
And Valls is very quick to make the connection between killer bread, right? The bread that Jesus gave, fed the 5,000 with, and the manna in the wilderness. 45 loaves and 40 years of manna. However, Valls is reluctant to make the connection to another bread, a bread that endures, the bread of the sacrament. Not so our lectionary committee. We go from four weeks in Mark 6 immediately to John chapter 6, skipping over John's recording of the feeding of the 5,000 to talk, spend three weeks on Jesus' discourse concerning the bread of life, the bread that endures. Text begins with the punchline. I am the bread of life. It's the first of the seven great I am statements in John's gospel. Bread that sustains life is the foreshadowing of the bread that is Jesus. In last week's gospel lesson, the Jews are looking back, testing Jesus in verses 30 and 31. They said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As if, what, the multiplication of loaves was not enough of a sign? Sign, you will recall, is John's word for the miracles of Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000 is the fourth such sign in John's gospel, walking on waters number five. The sign that Jesus would have them see is himself. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's a greater bread, a contrasting bread, not the bread that sustains life as well to Israel in the wilderness, but bread that gives enduring life, a sacramental bread. That'll be clear later in the reading, but for now, let's follow Jesus' line of reasoning. Jesus raises the question of election, the will of the one who sent me, i.e. the Father, and the promise of resurrection. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. First, notice the little word, all. All that the Father gives me. It's not a masculine plural, as we might expect, but rather it's a neuter singular. It's a category or a class. It is quite simply the church with a capital C. All the saints of every age, Noah and Abram, David and Hezekiah, Peter, James, and John, St. Lawrence and Luther, you and I, all the baptized, and our children's children, who will be anointed in the bloody font for the forgiveness of sins. All that the Father gives. It raises the question of election. This verse, along with verse 44, has sparked controversy and division within the church for millennia. The question of our participation in the work of salvation. Lenski summarizes the question well, commenting on this, these two verses with these words. The words of Jesus are without trace of either predestinationism or synergism. God's grace is universal. He would give all men to Jesus. The only reason he does not do so is because so many men obdurately refuse to be a part of that gift. On the other hand, God's grace is alone efficacious. Every man who believes does so only and wholly by virtue of this grace. And third, to read on in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. Throughout our reading, did you notice the repeated reference to the resurrection? 
in this verse, and then again in 45, and then the climax in 51, anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Truly, Jesus, the bread that endures into the ages. And so the Jews grumble. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? The hidden charge, the implied charge, is blasphemy. If he claims to have come down from heaven, he's claiming to be the son of God. But that can't be. We know his parents, right? But there's another unspoken cause of the grumbling. What Jesus is talking about is ritually unclean, unacceptable. Good little Jewish boys and girls do not drink blood. It's implied here. It's explicit in next week's lesson. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Unless we be too quick to point the finger, we also grumble and murmur against the hidden things of God. The problem of theodicy. How do you recognize, how do you affirm God's power and his love and the evil that we see all around us? Or the necessity of the cross in the lives of believers. How is that necessary? Or the evident failure of the Spirit in the lives of those who were once saved, especially our loved ones. But in Jesus, the hidden work of God is in plain sight. This is the will of the Father, that I lose nothing. But how is that to be accomplished? Oh, by the obedient passion and death of Jesus. To do the will of the Father includes the unrecorded answer to the prayer in Gethsemane. The cup was not removed. The verdict was delivered. And the cup of God's wrath was drunk to the last bitter dregs in the abject agony of the cross. But in John's account, it is on the cross that the glory of God is finally and fully revealed. John 3 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 8, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. John 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. There, on the cross, in His death, is forgiveness of sins. As Peter declares after healing the lame man in the temple, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given among men, by which we shall be saved. Whom God raised from the dead. In his resurrection, we find the sacramental application of our text. And another contrast. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Jesus observes, notice not our fathers. Jesus has no earthly father. But the Old Testament story of the manna the bread that sustains life guides Jesus' explanation of the new bread. The bread endures. The Father's death in the wilderness was judgment against their grumbling. Not so with the new bread. A better bread. A living bread. It is pure grace. The love of God incarnate. Verse 50. 
This is the bread come down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Eating this bread, you are forgiven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh. This is my body given for you. The very words from the upper room. Weinrich observes, there will be an eating that frees from death because what is eaten takes away sin. Here again, the significance of the Passover comes to the surface. As the Lamb of God, Jesus bears away the sin of the world. The blood of the Passover lamb kept Israel safe from the angel of death and the flesh of the slaughtered Paschal lamb was to be eaten. The more one keeps the Paschal themes in mind, the less a purely metaphorical interpretation of the bread of life is possible. The bread of life is nothing other than the flesh of the Paschal lamb, a flesh that is to be eaten. Close quote. And with that, we can return to the beginning of our text with a little more understanding. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Not killer bread, the manna of the wilderness, a bread that sustains life, but the bread that endures, the body and blood of Jesus, given and shed for you. The living bread of Jesus' flesh gives life into the ages. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.